Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast. I'm your host, Christine LaPerriere, president of Leader in Motion. On this show, we're going to gossip about the best boss you ever had. We're going to hear stories about things that they did that helped you feel valued, helped you feel engaged, and really inspired you. We want to hear about the bosses that changed the way you look at everything. If you want to hear more, join me at christinelaperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip. Today, I have Brent Curry on the show. I'm very excited to share his story with you. He was helping me facilitate a program that we lead with Scotiabank. And he started telling a story about a best boss that he had. And I was so excited. I had to reach out and ask him if he would consider sharing it on this show. So Brent, nice to see you. Thanks, Christine. Great to be here. And I am so thrilled to dive into some of the great nuggets that you shared before. So I'll start with the big opening question. Who is your best boss? My best boss ever is Joe Brandt. I worked for Joe about 15 years ago for about three years in the Toronto area. And so, you know, why did he come to mind when we ask you this question? I reflected on that a little bit. And, you know, I think with Joe, the biggest thing for me is I genuinely felt that he wanted me to be the best version of myself I could grow to be. And that any of his coaching or feedback or suggestions were 100% altruistic, if that makes sense. I I truly felt that his desire was to, and it wasn't just me. You could probably find dozens of people literally across the bank that would say Joe is their best boss ever because he truly invested in individuals, which I mean, ultimately helped him build high performing teams, but the investment was in me, not in being the boss, if that makes sense. And did you say he had some really great kind of words of wisdom, or he kind of had the rules. I really want to hear, you know, tell me a little bit about this playbook that he kind of started. Yeah. So I I created my own version of it. I actually have a page on my computer called Wisdom from Joe that over the course of my time working with him, he would say things, some are direct quotes, some are concepts, and I would write them down because I knew, you know, here I am now, like I say, 15 years later, and I reference that page from time to time just to see what I've maybe forgotten and haven't kind of leveraged, but they're helpful reminders to me that kind of live on, on and on. I mean, a couple examples, Joe had a document called the 10 rules of managing people and they're just intrinsic truths. They were facts that he had, you know, learned and experienced over his decades of leadership that he shared with all of us. And as we read through those rules, we would see examples that we had experienced And sometimes we would see stuff that we hadn't seen come to light, but I can tell you in the last 15 years, I don't think there's a rule in there that I, that I haven't seen, you know, I'm not going to go through all, all 10, but I mean, like, like a couple of them are never be surprised, right? You think you've figured things out, you know, which way the road turns and where the business is going and things happen. And the way I've always interpreted never be surprised is never get flustered when things don't go according to plan. Joe was one of the consummate examples of something would go wrong or not as planned. And and his first reaction was, okay, let's understand what happened. What are the facts? How do we deal with it? How do we move forward? And so just the recognition that things will go off script, expecting the unexpected is half the battle, I think. The other one was, was Joe used to talk a lot about realize how important it is to build trusting relationships with your team, but also realize that because you're the boss, some people will never tell you 100% of the story. 
And whether that's their own insecurities or, you know, fault for not building enough trust or whatever it is, realize that not everybody will bear their soul and tell everything about what they're thinking or feeling or worried about. And he would always impress upon us the point that that's your job now as a leader to try and suss out the unspoken, right? When someone says they're fine and you think they're not, why? When someone gives you a reason for why something happened and you think that there's another part of the the, the story in there, how do you get at that in a, in a safe way, in a constructive way? But just the realization that just because you ask somebody something and they answer it, oftentimes that boss relationship will filter that answer and and to just to kind of look for that gap and build the confidence to hopefully close and eliminate that gap most of the time. I mean, and again, that's an important leadership quality that a lot of us don't really talk about. That one puts the onus on the leader to help uncover what was the missing information instead of pointing the blame at the team member who didn't feel comfortable sharing. Yeah, no, for sure. I always too, like I, I always felt with Joe that he he never missed a teachable moment, but it always it always landed well, right? Like we've all got, things get labeled as constructive criticism, but sometimes constructive criticism kind of does feel like flat out criticism. <laughs> and, and uh, yeah. you know, you don't see the constructive value in it ever if if not right in the moment. But Joe had a knack for that not happening, right? Like like something would come along and and it would just, it would almost feel like it was a script out of a movie. Like something would happen, you would say something and he would come in with some quote or some idea or some concept to make you think about it in a totally different way. And it's like, how do these situations keep happening where he's just got the answer? And in, in hindsight, it's the experience and the fact that he'd been around the horn a few times with, with different people in different scenarios. But my point is, whenever the feedback was delivered, it always felt like the gift that it was intended to be. That's one of the things I've picked up from him as well is when I do share feedback or constructive criticism, whatever label we decide to put on it, you say to someone, like, if I didn't care about you as an individual, if I didn't care that you reach your full potential, I wouldn't give you the feedback. Like if it's because oftentimes the feedback isn't make or break news or suggestions. It's the stuff around the edges that helps people be better employees, better leaders, better people. And, you know, a lot of it is kind of take it or leave it. Like you don't really need to give all that feedback to help someone be a good employee, but it's the stuff around the edges that that is sometimes harder to share about the way someone's coming across or the way you're perceived or these sort of soft things that are uncomfortable conversations. You need to be brave to have them. But when it comes in a spirit of truly wanting someone to be their best, then it is more likely to be received as a gift. And that's all the way I always felt with Joe. Like it, it never made me feel bad about the feedback that he shared or the suggestions that he would that he would make. That's excellent. I have a tendency to nickname that the broccoli between your teeth feedback. Where it's like, please don't let me walk around like this. Like, sure, you know, I can do it and no, you know, nothing terrible is gonna happen, but please don't let me work this hard <laughs> and walk around with broccoli between my teeth. And then if, if I don't tell you that you had broccoli between your teeth and then the next person does, you're going to look at me and go, why wouldn't you have told me that? Like, I mean, why, like, why didn't you give me that feedback? And, and that can actually break down that trust or that feeling that have you really got my back? Cause if you did, you would have like, you would have 
given that little awkward piece of feedback and yet you let it go. I smiled for another 20 minutes until someone else took pity on me. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly it. Right. And that's, I do. I think that's the characteristic of a great boss. I hear that over and over again is that, you know, they're willing to go there because it's in benefit of you, the person they're serving. It's not about them. Right. Do you have any stories that you can think of that were particularly interesting from when you worked with him? So the, the format that we were in, he, he led, Toronto region. So all the, all the branches in the region, kind of the GTA. And there were eight of us that reported to Joe. So eight district leaders that each had a collection of branches. And once a year, you talk about the goals for next year, right? And, you know, how do we want to, you know, acquire new customers, you know, different sales targets, things like that for the year. And other regions I'd heard would have a very top-down approach to that. Right. So the region would just say here, here for the eight of you, here are your goals and then figure it out for the rest. Joe didn't do that on our behalf. He instead would take the eight of us and literally locked us in a room and said, supplied with lots of guidance, lots of analysis, lots of data and said, you guys come out when you believe that the regional plan is fairly allocated across the eight of you. And his guidance was you've all got a responsibility to take a big enough piece of the plan so that the region is successful. And you've all got a responsibility to not kind of sit in the weeds and hope you get a smaller slice than you really think that you could deliver because that's not fair to the rest of your colleagues. And his point was, if at the end of this day or two days or however long it took us, if one or two of you comes out going, I got away with it here, like I got a little piece of the plan, then you've all failed. And if one or two of you comes out of here and goes, oh my goodness, like how am I going to tell my branches the plan's this big? Like they're going to say we don't have a chance of being successful. He goes, if one or two of you think that, then you've all failed. He said, if all eight of you come out of here going, oh man, that's, you know, that's that's a that's a bit of a push and that's a stretch. But you know what? I think if we all work together, we can all get there and and help more customers be successful and help the bank be successful at the same time, then you've probably done a good job as a team. And I think that was a a lesson he left with me is he never created a sense of competition within the team. It was always, you know, customer first, team second, and kind of all for one, one for all, which which I think created that broader trust across his team, which was which was really good. One of the funny stories I've got from Joe was was the first time that I thought I'd finally figured things out. And I had an answer to his question that that he didn't think I I knew. And so what happened was every week you would get your report about how how your team did right against plan and one week i had a week where my team did 85 percent of the weekly plan and we're having our touch base and and he asked me so talk to me about last week's results like you were only 85 percent of plan what happened i said well joe it was canada day weekend it was a short week there was only four days in the week so actually it was only an 80% week and we did 85. So funny enough, I think we actually overperformed. And he said, oh, right, right. Okay, short week. Yeah. So how come you guys only delivered 85%? And he asked me the same question, exactly the same. And I thought he didn't hear my answer. I was on the road. I was driving home. I thought maybe he didn't hear me and myself. Service was bad. So right. gave the same answer. And Joe said, oh, short week. Right. Okay. So how come you only did 85%? And then I realized <laughs> then when he asked me the same question, exactly the same third time in a row, I was missing something. And his question was, well, how come in GTA North, they did 120%? 
And how come in how come in GTA East they did 115, right? And and his whole point was it's a relative world that we live in. And you know, you you need to look from a performance standpoint. It's not just how you did against the clock or against the calendar, right? It's how you did relative to the rest of you know, the comparison set and the relative performance message. I'd never thought of that before. I'd never, it'd never been thrown at me by anybody else. And it's basically shaped everything going forward for me. Like it's, it's a relative world. And it was just a, an interesting take on it that seems so simple, but at the time didn't really see it. I would have never thought of that as an answer either. <laughs> when I'm listening to the story, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gone there either. <laughs> That's and it's so you know it's so insightful, right? You know, and how did it make you think differently when there was another short week coming and you had to coach your team? Yeah, I mean, it's in the applications went even far beyond that job, right? Where a different job entirely, and someone would would say why something didn't happen or why it was more difficult for their team, and it always led to the question of, okay, well that that's a good reason, but why is that different than anybody else? Right. Why is that like is sometimes we give we give what we think are excuses for things, but they're actually reasons that don't hold up against the relative comparison set. Right. And it was not to create a gotcha moment. It was to create an awareness of don't explain away a problem and feel good that there's no problem when there actually is a problem and you're looking at it wrong. Right. So if there is underperformance and you excuse it away in an invalid way, you're going to stop looking for ways to improve and stop looking for ways to get better. You'll just say, oh, it's just because of the way it is, right? And this relative, why is it different than any other region? Why is it different than any other product or any other company causes you to go, I don't have the answer yet. And I got to keep thinking about it or keep working with the team for them to think about a way to improve or a way to evolve. It's amazing. So I do have a question for you specific to when you work for Joe. So many people have a hard time materializing the investment in leaders because they can't always see that direct investment. But I'm curious, when you think of a leader like Joe Brandt, who was really, you looked up to and you saw, you kept having these small aha moments every time he had these teachable moments. What do you think was the the hard hitting benefit to the business from a numbers standpoint? I mean, could you guesstimate? Everything he talked about started with, why does that matter to the customer? How does, how does that make a customer better off? How does that make a customer feel better about their future and therefore want to do more business with us? So because everything was always grounded in a customer needs standpoint, then what flows from that are more trusted relationships, more business, more loyalty, more referrals. But it started out with a, with, you know, a, a pure objective of one customer at a time. How have we made their life better? And, and all the other stuff just flows from that. And that doesn't matter if you're in banking or if you sell toothpaste or if you sell cars, right? Like it's not tricks of the trade to sell more. It's, it's about what unmet need do customers have that you have a solution for and how are you making that solution easy for them to get, understand, use, ask questions about, ask for help when they have it. Because people's lives are busy and information overload makes lives confusing. And if, if everything you focus on is meeting needs in an easy, frictionless way for customers, the business benefits will, will just flow naturally out of that. So you know it impacts the bottom line through 
aligning people so thoughtfully toward the end game, which is happy customers. But again, it's it's interesting how it's always tricky to measure, but you can feel it. Yes. It's why I always play this game of metrics are kind of a fascinating thing because when people feel alignment, they know it's better for the business, but they can't always tell you exactly what beans changed in the bean counter. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. And I think the the opposite is true as well. Like you'll know when it's not there. Like you know what bad leadership does. You know that bad leadership or selfish leadership or inconsistent leadership from an employee engagement standpoint, from people wanting to be at work and go the extra mile and spend that extra hour, you just won't get that. Like you'll you'll get a lot of just enough, thank you very much. And again, you can't quantify the negative impact of that, but you'll certainly feel it in the long run, right? You know, and I also think of it just as a legacy standpoint. Like, you know, I learned a lot from Joe in the time I worked for him, but like the applications extend far beyond that one job. Like they weren't they weren't lessons that only ring true in this job or in this environment. They don't only ring true in banking. Like a lot of the stuff that I learned rings true in life, let alone, you know, leadership and kind of a professional environment. So I, I think that also just goes back to the the authenticity of the leadership that, you know, helping people be better employees or better leaders themselves usually has a knock-on effect in people's lives as well. They go home at night feeling better about their job, which allows them to be in a better mood when they're home with their family. It allows them to bring wisdom to their whatever their relationships are in their personal life. It like you you can't just shut off work Brent from home Brent from friend Brent from son Brent like those are all people are are fluid and and work in a bunch of different environments and so I I do think you've got an obligation as a leader to realize that the environment you create for people at work can have positive or negative knock-on effects far beyond the office hours absolutely that is probably one of the biggest things that I see is this leaders, the best bosses, I really do believe can kind of change the world for a lot of people. (laughs) So it's why I'm so passionate about this topic, because you do, you influence so many people when that person that works on your team goes home and they've had a terrible day and they don't have enough energy to talk to their kids and they kick the dog or whatever, you know, it's like all those people that have to live with them are influenced by it. So a great boss can be a game changer. Amazing. And so any other great leaders that come to mind? Obviously, I hear Joe's special, but do you have other ones that come to mind when I think of best bosses? Yeah, like I've been very fortunate to have the opportunity to work with a number of great leaders over my career. And and so, you know, in the spirit of just picking one more, I worked for a fellow named Daniel, and it was during COVID, another leader at the bank. Daniel's magic, I think, was his ability to always, always was calm. Never saw him get flustered ever. And whenever something went off the rails, the first inclination, unlike many leaders, which is like, how'd this happen? Who was involved? And it, and it and the questions can feel very much like blame gaming. He was always instantly, what happened? Do we know for sure that's the extent of it? What happened from a understanding standpoint? have we prevented it from happening again? Like, have we stopped the bleeding? And what's the learning going forward? And it was this, it was this learning orientation that was, was part of his personality and, and part of the way he presented to people throughout the whole company, which was people weren't therefore afraid to tell people when something went 
wrong because you knew that it was going to be received in the spirit of like there's the immediacy of stop it, make sure it doesn't happen anymore. But the learning and improving going forward was always the focus. It wasn't a finger pointing blame game type situation. It was always forward looking. How do we use this to get better going forward? And oftentimes the the learning that resulted in in mistakes was almost worth the mistake, right? But But because he genuinely treated surprises in that forward-looking way. It made people comfortable to share. And and I believe the trust quotient just, you know, skyrocketed because of that. And, you know, that's a really good point when you talk about the trust quotient, because to me, it's interesting how everybody thinks that they're very trustworthy and that they're, you know, that you can be trusted, but trust shows up on the bad day <laughs> of like, how safe do you feel in that environment? You know, the good days, we all trust each other, <laughs> but going to your boss in the middle of COVID and telling them that something came off the rails or a, a mistake was made or something got overlooked, that's the day that y- you have, you know, you don't feel nearly as safe as you did the day before. Yeah. Now we see if this was like actually who you are or if it's just lip service when the sun's shining, right? Right. Which I, I see a lot of the lip service version. So I think that's a great example of how somebody really lived into his values so that you could you could trust him fully. And during COVID, I mean, was there anything that he did to help the team kind of work through such a challenging time personally? Because so for many of us, it was a very challenging time personally. Yeah, there were a lot of, um, and this was new for me, like more of the, like I've always been someone that doesn't separate personal life from work life. Like I, I am interested in what you did on the weekend and what your kids are doing or what you know, your mom's party or like I, I do that stuff normally. But what I learned from Daniel was the need to be even more regular and deliberate and maybe a bit deeper on those conversations, like the check-ins about how are you really doing. And for me, that was, it was honestly awkward for a while because I wasn't wired to get that personal with people I work with and would tend to be a little more of the, no, I'm fine. It's all good. Yeah, it's okay. you know. And it took a few of those conversations with him and his leadership team for us to feel vulnerable enough, I guess, to actually say how you were feeling. And I think that that exercise with us as the leadership team helped us to then bring that authenticity to our teams as well about the importance of check-ins. And that that wasn't unique to our business or unique to the bank. I mean, I think people worldwide learned the importance of connecting with colleagues and teammates at a more personal and, and real level during COVID. And I've seen that extend beyond the pandemic, which is one of the the good things we're left with with the pandemic is this less transactional relationships and more real relationships and understanding that you're leading human beings like you're not leading job titles and if that if that's done authentically i think it can be it can be very powerful so that that was a, a big takeaway from my time with daniel i think that's a great example and i think to your point there's no reason we shouldn't all be able to do that more frequently but it probably never felt like a necessity the way that it did during that time it became popular and and I think it's become lasting, which is good. Which is great. Yep. Perfect. And then I'm just curious, I mean, we kind of danced into this when you've not had a best boss ever, what are some of the attributes that kind of have stood out to you? Like, I mean, I wouldn't say this person wasn't a best boss or was a bad boss. I think everybody, present company included, has stuff about us that I'm um, people who work with us probably wish we didn't do, right? And and whether they're habits or 
mannerisms or, or things like that. Like there's, there's a few that I've picked up along the way. And I think if you, if you try to get past them being that's irritating or that doesn't let me be my best and see the learning of it and go, maybe I want to make sure I never do that for anybody that I lead. Right. And so what are some of the habits that, that I've, I've seen from leaders that I go, Hey, it doesn't mean you're a bad boss. It's just like this little bit of the way you show up and I don't like, and I don't think a lot of people would like, and so I'm not going to do it. Right. And so nothing major other than, I mean, one would be the after hours email thing. Like I, I had a couple people I worked for that I could tell their, their work time was Sunday mornings and mine's not like mine's not. And so to get emails from your boss at 10 in the morning on a Sunday, when even though he or she is not expecting an answer, but it's still ping, ping, ping on the BlackBerry on the iPhone. When I'm trying to separate myself and have a nice Sunday morning with my family, I found it very distracting. And so COVID became a weird thing for that because people's work days kind of got all flexible, right? I'm working from home. So I've, you know, I might have to do stuff with my kids and then I'll be online later. And and we've lost this sense of a clock. And so I also work at weird hours generally, like super early or late at night or on a Saturday because I cut out early on a Thursday and all these things. But but I, I'd ask my team now, like I tend to go, like, do you would you rather me when something comes to mind on a Saturday afternoon, do you want me to plop it into your inbox on Saturday or do you want me to save it up and like carpet bombing Monday morning yeah. with 16 emails? Yeah. And some people say send it to me when you think of it, because I know that you don't need the answer right away, but it allows me to kind of reflect on it for a bit and think about it. And it doesn't hijack my day when Monday, I think I've got my day plan. And all of a sudden, you know, I've got three questions at seven in the morning and others would say, I'd rather you keep the distance and draft them and hit send first thing Monday. And so everybody's different. And so I, I just learned from that one that like, you know, there were people who would have got those Sunday morning emails from that boss and wouldn't have cared. But it's, I think it's asking and trying to say, you know, how do, how do I customize? How do I do that is, is important. And I think the most important one for me is consistency of mood, of, of reaction. Like, I, like we all have days that aren't our best, whether they're, you know, work stress, personal stress. I'm just tired. I don't feel well, like whatever it is. But I never want to be the person that someone comes to me with something and my reaction was more influenced by other parts of my environment and it causes them to be afraid to come to me next time or to wonder because I've I've seen that like there are some people going like is it a good day to ask them about this today like what's what's the vibe today is now a good day to table this with the boss and it's like Mm-mm, don't that's not good like I, I I would hope that people never have to double clutch before they come to me wondering what Brent they're gonna get and so consistency and not not fake right like i like i don't think we can all say i'm great i'm awesome i'm perfectly fine because then people see like it's just you've just slapped on veneer and now i don't trust you because nobody is perfect all the time but it's it's being human but at the same time being able to pause and realize that other stressors in your life don't mean that the way you react to things from your team need to come out differently so consistency, respect, measured reactions, you know, don't get too excited, don't get too down, kind of keep it in the middle of the lane. I think consistency takes away an unnecessary stress that inconsistent leadership would give to people. I really like that point. And I don't think anybody's ever brought that up before. So I'm having an aha moment while you're sharing that, (laughs) because I think it's such a 
it's exactly what you said. It's like when you when you have consistent leadership, you don't really notice it. It's kind of like water. You're just, a, you know, you appreciate it because you're swimming in it. But I've experienced the inconsistent leadership in my own professional world. And you're right. That really does make each day almost like an added wild card because you have six things you're trying to get done. And who knows what, how my boss is going to react today. And now you're developing contingency plans in your head. If she loves it, I'll say this. And if he hates it, I'll say that. And if he's kind of mad, then I'll do this. Like all that energy that you just wasted on figuring out my next comment based on four potential reactions, like that energy could have been probably put into making the solution even better or, or working on problem number two. And I, I just think time is is at such a premium for everybody that anything we can do to to not cause people to waste time dealing with our own inconsistencies is, is probably time well spent. Yeah, that's excellent. That makes so much sense to me. And it does speak to the trust issue again, because it goes back to when you don't know what to expect and there could be a negative consequence when you walk into an office, you don't feel safe. So, you know, it's the same thing. Like you don't know, okay, well, if they were in bad traffic this morning, I don't know if I'm going to be the one <laughs> that gets the brunt of that in the staff meeting, you know? So it's such a good point. Those are useful. So, you know, and I always think we do, we learn a lot from the leaders that we, we didn't, you know, the certain attributes, like you said, we didn't love that. And let's try not to do that ourselves. But I think those were some really good ones that, again, you probably wouldn't even notice in a great leader, but you really notice when you work with somebody who doesn't bring that. Right. Yeah. You notice when it's not there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Just to kind of wrap these up, if you had to teach or advise future leaders on how to be a best boss, what would be some of the things you'd ask them to focus on? Yeah. I think the first one is you being a leader, realize it's not about you. It's about the people you're leading. Much like when I said Joe always focused on the customer and the banker meeting with them and from that good results will follow. I think, you know, if if you approach leadership from a almost like a servant leader standpoint and an enabler to help people recognize and attain their full potential, then good things will happen. Like I I want you to be successful for yourself. I want you to recognize and achieve your full potential for yourself. And you know what? Knock-on effect is if everyone on the team does that, then as a team, we're going to perform better. And then that will reflect well on me as a, as a leader, right? As opposed to, you know, I want to make sure I mold and shape everybody well so that I look good as the leader. I think it has to be genuine. It has to be selfless. I think the results will follow. That's, that's one. I think that the check-ins are important. Like that is one where COVID has helped me. Like I say, I've, I've never been someone to shy away from getting to know my team, but it's that little bit extra about really caring about, no, really, how are you doing, right? I think people that, that are genuine about that also have a better connection. And the last thing I think is assume good intent, right? Like people make mistakes. People say things that maybe they wish they didn't say or use a tone they wish they didn't use or... An email is often the worst because, you know, tone gets inferred from the written word. It's not heard and felt. And so I think as a leader, teaching yourself and teaching others to always assume good intent versus reacting and assuming things is, is good. So, you know, when mistakes are made or when a step is missed or when a word happens that someone kind of cringes at, 
if you start from a place of going, maybe they didn't mean for that to be the outcome and they were really trying hard and that's just the way it happened. Let's understand why. It's kind of ties into the Daniel thing, right? Of like, okay, so that happened. Let's let's try to understand why and what's the learning from it. And And I think assuming good intent is a good jumping off point for that. I really like that because, you know, we, we try to encourage people not to make assumptions, but the truth is, is we're human. So making assumptions is built into our brain's ability to figure things out quickly. So instead of saying, don't make assumptions saying, let's just assume positive intent. (laughs) Right. Right. Let's, let's start with the best in mind that, you know, the person really was trying to do the best job they could in the moment. And the best job might've been sending a scathing email at midnight, you know? Right. Right. And then to your point, then coaching from that. Okay. If that was the best job you could do, how can we help you find a teachable moment out of that? and a new strategy next time. For sure. I mean, it's if you assume good intent and then you know your discovery unveils that it actually wasn't good intent, you'll get there fast enough, right? right. But but most right. of the time, it probably was good intent. So you know, you're going to be right more than you're not if you start out with that assumption and work from there. I think that's great. Brent, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Again, I love picking out those words of wisdom from leaders who have worked for great leaders and getting a chance to find out kind of how you've informed your point of view. So this is really helpful. It was it was fun to do this. Can I share one other thought just to just to end? Please. So one of the things that I've thought about and as I, you know, as I get on in my career is how are you going to be remembered? And the whole legacy thing, right? And it's and I just know the way I talk about Joe, the way countless other colleagues who are on the team with me at the same time still talk about Joe reference his lessons, reference his words, reference his jokes, tells me that like there's a leader that built a legacy that's that's long, long lasting and has knock-on effects on a lot of people, right? And so it was about 10 years ago that I made that switch in my mind where I said like as a leader, I'm not trying to be a good leader so that I continue to do well personally and professionally. I'm being a good leader to leave a legacy, right? And so I often think about, you know, like I go to the odd retirement party now and and mine isn't going to be that soon. But when it does come, you wonder, like, what are people going to say? Right. And I hope that long after I'm gone in this capacity, that someone tells the odd story about Brent that they remember and that helped them. Right. And so for me, that's that's always been a bit of the the wind in the sails is leaving a legacy that will help people far beyond your time to see it. Right. So, you know, I've been, I've been very fortunate to have leaders in my life that have done that for me. And if I can do that for a couple other people that, that work with me, that'll be a bonus. I think that's incredible. And it's such a wonderful way for people to reflect on their own leadership experience. So many of us go to work and we might not be excited about the business issue we're tackling that day or the paperwork we're filing or whatever that is. But I'm sure coming into work and knowing that your intention is to leave a positive impact around the people that you work with, you know, that still helps you come home at the end of the day feeling like you did good. (laughs) Right, right. 100%. 100%. I love it. Amazing. Well, listen, that was so helpful. And again, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, Christine. If you want to hear more, join me at christineleperriere.com and sign up for our newsletter, The Whip.